it's all changing the mobile world. 5G and new narrowband technologies are on the way in and 2G and 3G networks on the way out. Knowing where to place your bets is more important than ever. My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. Last week, I promised you a discussion about the forthcoming Transformer Insights report about communication service providers and what they're doing in IoT. For the last decade, I've been writing reports on how communication service providers like AT&T, Deutsche Telekom, Telefonica, Verizon and Vodafone address the IoT market. I'm just now putting to bed the inaugural Transformer Insights Communication Service Providers Internet of Things Peer Benchmarking Report. And one of the main findings from that is that the changes happening in the provision of connectivity are perhaps bigger now than they've ever been. That being the case, I thought it was necessary to stretch this discussion about the role of CSPs and telecommunications networks over two episodes. In this first one, I want to delve into some of the exciting things that are happening in network technologies. Next week, I'll get to grips with who's top of the class and why. It's certainly an exciting time to be in telecoms. I spoke back in episode three a little bit about the network virtualization that's going on. That's pretty exciting, but it's far from the only thing happening. Also, in episode one, I talked about my book, The Internet of Things Myth, that came out in April. One big part of that book that I didn't talk about during that podcast was the extensive discussions around new network technologies. 5G is grabbing the headlines, but also really important for IoT are the new wide area narrowband technologies that have recently arrived. And the fact that operators around the world are going through a process of switching off the old 2G and 3G networks. I think it's worth looking at each of those. First, 5G. There have been a lot of superlatives thrown around about 5G, up to and including it being the most important invention since electricity. Ignoring the hyperbole for a moment, the difference from previous mobile technology generations is threefold. Firstly, increased bandwidth. Theoretically, 5G offers speeds of up to 10 gigabits per second, although the experienced maximum speeds by a single user typically be 100 to 200 megabits per second. That's about five times faster than 4G LTE networks today. This opens up higher bandwidth applications like online gaming, virtual and augmented reality, AR, VR. It also makes mobile a viable alternative to fixed line broadband for more households. Second big change. Support for massive IoT deployments. 5G networks can manage up to 1 million devices per cell, clearing the way for much larger deployments of IoT. Third, and finally, lower latency across all applications. Let me explain latency for a moment. Latency is the time that it takes for a message to get from point A to point B. Historically, Mobile networks never had latency much better than 50 milliseconds. 5G promises latency as low as one millisecond, although in reality it will be more like 10 milliseconds 
for most communication. Let's pick those three things apart. While higher bandwidth is certainly going to be appreciated, and history suggests that there is an almost unquenchable desire for more bandwidth, no one has really come up with a game-changing use case that means that 5G is anything more than just a welcome incremental addition. Regarding the ability to support massive deployments, we're currently nowhere near needing the additional capacity. Based on the forecasts that we do at Transformer Insights, there are just a few billion connected devices that use wide area and campus networks worldwide. And that relates to four or five million towers. So there's maybe a thousand devices per tower, maybe a few hundred per cell. Nowhere near the million devices per cell that 5G promises. And while the growth rates are pretty impressive, we're not going to get to anywhere near needing thousands, let alone hundreds of thousands, of devices per cell. Certainly not needing to be connected concurrently. Most IoT devices, after all, are simple sensors that report only occasionally. The game changer, if there is one, is latency. While a 5x improvement from 50 milliseconds to 10 milliseconds might not appear transformational, it may well be. This is less because of the capabilities that it enables and more because of the relative latencies of the various parts of the network. Getting total latency below 100 milliseconds and ideally below 30 milliseconds is needed for gaming and AR, VR and so forth. 5G certainly delivers that, but demand for those kind of services is unproven, shall we say. The change that 5G creates is that the core network, rather than the access network, becomes the slow part. The core network being the fibre optic cables that run all over the country, versus the access network being the radio part from the transmitter to the receiving device. Historically, the radio access network was always the bottleneck. The 20 milliseconds of delay added by a maybe a thousand kilometer round trip to a central server was not the limiting factor. However, with 5G as the RAM, the core network suddenly represents two thirds of the delay. The overall impact, therefore, of using 5G in the radio access network will be to improve the latency of every application. But applications that are hosted at the edge of the network have a proportionately bigger gain. After all, they don't have that two-thirds of the latency accounted for by the core network. The natural response must then surely be to put more processing and storage at the edge of the network in a much more distributed model. For instance, with 5G base stations doubling up as mini data centers. Such a reduction in latency also encourages the shift of compute power for IoT applications out of the devices and into the base station. Why have smart edge devices when the network latency back to a more cost-effective network edge compute function is only 10 milliseconds? The result of 5G deployments, therefore, is that compute shifts to the edge of the network, either from the cloud or from the device or both. This means a potentially massive shift in how services are delivered and by whom. But does it really make much difference to the applications that are supported? Broadly speaking, no. My pat comment is that 5G talks about IoT much more than IoT talks about 5G. Technology vendors are looking to promote as wide a set of use cases for 5G as possible, including some pretty micro niche IoT applications. But for the most part, 
the IoT adopters won't find much benefit in using 5G. That contrasts neatly with what I'm going to talk about next, which are the wildly useful and cheap low-power wide area technologies that have also broken onto the scene in the last few years. The other new arrival, or rather set of new arrivals, are the low-power wide area LPWA technologies. These technologies are unapologetically low bandwidth, designed to support distributed sensors of all types. By pairing back the capabilities, the technology developers have been able to provide a couple of major benefits. Firstly, and most importantly, very long battery life. Devices can operate in the field on nothing more than a simple battery for maybe 10 years. Brilliant for any application that doesn't have ready access to power. Compare it with a 2G device, which would last maybe a couple of weeks, if you're lucky. Secondly, they're typically very cheap, of the order of a dollar to five dollars per device, depending on which technology you're using. You can probably see why we are expecting billions of these devices. Very useful, very cheap, open up a whole load of use cases that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. Today I'm going to share a bit of background on these various different technologies. Ideally, you'd hear from Jim Morrish, who is the granddaddy of LPWA and also the other founding partner at Transformer Insights. He coined the phrase back in 2013. That conversation we'll have to wait for another week. For this episode, here's the simple version. There are essentially two types of low power wide area technology. One set of technologies uses unlicensed spectrum, the same as baby monitors, wireless microphones. The other set uses licensed, i.e. that owned by mobile network operators. The big advantage of unlicensed spectrum is that it's free to use, but it does come with some technical limitations, which is part of the reasons why the capabilities of these technologies are so limited. There's also, of course, because it's a shared resource, a risk of interference. Compared with licensed technologies, these were developed for and by the mobile operators as a response to the arrival of the unlicensed versions. The intention was to develop an equivalent to those unlicensed technologies that were promising some real potential competition in addressing the Internet of Things. There are really two technologies in each category that you ought to be aware of. First, the unlicensed. Sigfox might be a name that you're familiar with if you have been in the IoT for a little while. It's a French company that was one of the first to emerge in this low power wide area IoT space back in 2010. The inventors decided they would not only develop a technology, but would also deploy networks, either themselves or by granting franchises to other companies around the world. These are so-called Sigfox network operators. They include some pretty familiar names. Kyocera in Japan, for instance. Liquid Telecom in Africa, some people might be familiar with. And a bunch of upstarts as well. Unibiz in Singapore and Taiwan, for instance. On the plus side, its devices are very cheap. And I mean very cheap. But the technology is very basic. 
providing almost exclusively an uplink data service, i.e. sending data from the device to the network. Also, it can handle data of only a few bytes. This is fine for smoke alarms or similar sensors. Another problem is that it's not a standard. There's about 16 million Sigfox connections today. The other big unlicensed technology is LoRa. It was developed by a company called Ciclio, which was subsequently acquired by Semtech. In this case, it's just a technology. Anyone can buy equipment and deploy a network or even just a single base station. In some cases, it's rolled out as a campus. In other cases, it's rolled out as a national overlay network by companies such as EveryNet on behalf of network operators such as Orange in France. Compared to Sigfox, it's significantly more capable with good uplink and downlink data rates of up to six kilobits a second and reasonable capacity. However, being based on unlicensed spectrum inevitably means more potential challenges for interference and therefore associated with the density of devices. LoRa is partially a standard. Without going into too much detail, some elements of it are standardized, some elements of it are proprietary to Semtech. And therefore, anyone wanting to manufacture devices needs to get a license for it. As a result, the benefits of having a fully open standard aren't quite realized. Today, LoRa has a little over 100 million connected devices worldwide. Faced with the growing appeal of these unlicensed technologies, the mobile industry wanted its own equivalent using licensed spectrum. It ended up coming up with two, LTEM and NBIoT. LTEM evolved from and is quite similar to existing 4G LTE technologies with uplink and downlink speeds of over one megabit per second. Long battery life can be achieved, but only by severely restricting the capabilities. Other than that, it's a very capable technology, but not wildly different from the capabilities that are delivered by the existing generations of mobile technologies. Narrowband IoT, in contrast, was a in inverted commas, clean slate technology. It arose indirectly from a technology called Weightless and specifically a company called Newell that drove the development of Weightless. Newell was acquired by Huawei and the technology evolved to be part of the mobile network standards. Of the two, MBIoT tends to be much more widely deployed, but it's a real patchwork. And technology selection, i.e. which technology you're going to pick, will often be more a question of what's available rather than necessarily what's needed. That said, the US and most European countries now have both. As a further point of interest, back in April 2020, NTT Docomo in Japan announced that it was turning off its MBIoT network after less than two years of operation, having not really been able to see very much demand. This is obviously slightly worrying for the technology, but at around the same time, we had some substantial announcements of roaming agreements between major players across Europe and the US for exactly that same technology. So there's ups and downs for the technology. I'm tempted to think Docomo is more mothballing than abandoning entirely. Nevertheless, the lack of certainty of which technologies will be available in which countries is not good for business. And that fragmentation is not just limited to new technologies being added but also to the old ones being switched off.
third big change happening at the moment is that of 2G and 3G switch-off. Looking at the big picture outside of IoT, very few customers in most developed markets use 2G or 3G phones today. Certainly 2G or 3G only phones. Almost everyone has a 4G phone and increasingly 5G. It's no coincidence that legacy networks are being switched off just as 5G network rollouts are accelerating. Shutting down 2G or 3G will open up the use of a lot of very valuable spectrum for 4G and 5G, while having minimal impact on existing revenue streams. The switch off is generally bad news for IoT. 2G is the most widely used of the generations when it comes to supporting IoT connections. And many of the deployments were expecting to be able to rely on these technologies for many years to come. Imagine you're a utility deploying smart meters. You're not expected to have to change them for 10 years at least. But typically, IoT only accounts for barely 1% of an operator's revenues. So decisions about switching off networks often don't need to give much consideration to what IoT thinks within an organisation. Australia, Canada, Japan, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan and the US have all been in the forefront of switch-off plans. In Europe, the picture is more fragmented, with particular relevance being given to large-scale IoT deployments. Some operators are leading with 2G switch-off, others with 3G. From an IoT standpoint, 3D switch-off is much more preferable, as there are typically very, very few IoT connections using 3G. China is equally mixed, but there's been a strong push on MBIoT as a replacement for the other technologies. The other giant market, India, is as yet not particularly focused on formal switch-off, although large part this is due to the de facto switch to LTE networks, courtesy of the success of Reliance Geo, which is a 4G-only operator. Less developed countries will generally be less likely to witness network switch-off in the next 10 years. There's more of a requirement to sweat the installed 2G and 3G network assets for longer and rollouts of 4G and 5G will naturally be slower. There are also fewer smartphone users and more customers reliant on 2G and 3G handsets. 2G and 3G network switch off represents a massive headache for anyone developing connected IoT products at least those that are using cellular connectivity. Developers need to know which networks would be available in which territories and for how long. Without this, they risk either seeing their devices disconnected or they have to cope with a higher bill of materials cost based on over-specifying the devices to ensure they have the redundancy to cope with any one of the different technologies being turned off in any one of the territories that they expect those devices to be running in. Some operators have been very good about giving timetables for switch-off and various support tools for the companies that need to transfer their devices from older generations to newer ones. Others have not been. One of the interesting things about all this is the extent to which the pendulum has swung between global and local over the last few years. 10 years ago, if you wanted to connect a device to a wide area network, 
you had basically one option. Add a 2G, probably, modem, and stick a SIM card in it. It could go almost anywhere in the world and connect on at least one operator based on established roaming agreements. It was probably quite pricey, but it was simple. In the early 2010s, we started to see what I can only term parochialism. In some countries, such as Brazil, India and Turkey, there was a prohibition on permanent roaming. Permanent roaming being devices from one network operator permanently sitting in a country in which that operator does not have a license. This was used quite a lot in the context of IoT, particularly useful devices that roamed all over the world. In some places, this prohibition on permanent roaming was based on local registration requirements, in some cases on tax obligation. This requirement for compliance further complicated the patchwork of technologies. Not only do you need to know if a technology is available, but you also need to know that your device will be compliant with local rules of what can and can't connect. As well as those regulatory prohibitions, there are also some commercial ones. For instance, in the US and Canada, where the operators themselves said, we don't want to support permanently roaming connections. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to suggest that these are improper closing of loopholes. Using roaming to permanently connect IoT devices was barely in the spirit of roaming agreements after all. However, removing the ability to do it did complicate matters somewhat. But over the years, we overcame these barriers partly through technical solutions and partly through partnerships and alliances between the operators. That ironed out some of the problems. The pendulum had swung back to the global. Fast forward five years, and we see the pendulum swinging back towards the local again. At a basic level, the networks available are more fragmented, as I've mentioned repeatedly. 2G and 3G switch off means that the old networks might or might not be available. 5G rollout and the availability of MBIoT, LTEM, LoRa, Sigfox and so forth are by no means guaranteed. There is less consistency of network deployment now than there was 10 years ago. The tools themselves may be better, but the deployment environment is more diverse. Speaking of MBIoT, there's a specific local issue with that. Even where deployed, there will be worlds of difference in the degree to which it's been optimised and fine-tuned. Battery life is the critical thing, and the way that the network is deployed will have a lot of impact on that. The performance of a device will be heavily dependent on how well optimised the network is. The fate of the two is much more inextricably linked than was the case with, say, 2G. 5G has a similar dynamic. Things like network slicing and the support via private networks means that it becomes less relevant to just drop a random device onto any network and expect it to work perfectly. There is no longer an arm's length relationship between device and network. And you have to make sure that the network is optimised for what it's supposed to achieve. So everything has become much more specialised and localised. 
the dynamic has changed again. In next week's podcast, we'll delve into the actual findings from the communication service provider IoT Peer Benchmarking Report, looking at some of the key trends other than the network areas I've discussed this week. I will also share who the top vendors are in categories such as technical capability, vertical services, and geographical coverage. I hope you can join me. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com. That's transformer with an A.